fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into the program. Hey, you made it, man. I know it was a tough week for you. Memorial weekend and all last week, Monday being off for a lot of individuals, and it's hard to get back into the groove of things. But hey, do not fear. The Voice of Reason has been here for you. As we rock it on a Friday today, getting you set for another weekend. Welcome into the program. Great to have you along for the ride today. I'm Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. We love you to death. Thank you so much for tuning in. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Uh, I, we're not going to cover a whole lot on the debt ceiling debate because it's already done. What more can you do? We had the House vote on it in a very large majority. We had the Senate vote on it last night in a relatively large majority, even with Republican support, and it's done. There's nothing more that we can do. Now, there are some perks to it, obviously. We got rid of the student loan forgiveness program. We did tighten up some of the work requirements for SNAP. Okay, cool. That's awesome. But when it came to the actual budget itself, which was the entire purpose of this bill, uh, it failed miserably, and it was a complete disaster. Uh, uh, beyond that, we saw the Senate vote on it in a 63-36 to 36 vote last night with 17 Republicans joining on board to pass that bill. And I was looking through the list of those that actually voted for it. Really not much of a surprise on those that actually supported Susan Collins, uh, Joni Ernest, Chuck Grassley, Mitch McConnell, Jerry Moran, our senator here in the state of Kansas. He's been uh, the last time he was a conservative was, well, never. He's actually never been a conservative. Uh, Mitt Romney, John Thune and a few others. So the moderates obviously supported that thing. Oh, it's good. More spending while we can't afford our bills that we have right now, which is why we ex- had to expend the extend the amount of money that uh, we had to borrow because we can't afford what we pay now. So let's go ahead and extend more spending down the road. Makes a whole lot of sense. I love that. Yeah, welcome into it. That's about all we have to say about that. It's opposite world out there. It is an opposite world. It is up is down, right is left, boy is girl, girl is boy, black is white, white is black. Uh, apparently, it, well, I take that back. Black can be, if we're looking at racial senses, black can be white, but if white tries to be black, then you're black facing and racial profiling and you're uh, uh, you're trying to uh, use someone else's culture and therefore you're culturally appropriating and therefore you're ruining their culture. So you can't do that. You can only be one-sided on that one. But everything is upside down right now. A bill that's supposed to curb spending, increase spending, and so on and so forth. It is opposite world out there. And did you know... There is such a thing now, the mainstream media and the left-wing Democrats have actually deemed Latinos as white supremacists. Uh, whoa, what? I, I know, I know. Now, I'm not talking about all Latinos, obviously, in the Latin community, but uh, in the Hispanic community, but the there's a piece that we're going to get to in just a second out of the New Yorker talking about the rise of Latino white supremacy. That's, it's a shocker. I know it is. The rise of Latino, it's it's kind of weird to say, the rise of Latino white supremacy. Say what? So, so, how did we get to this point in the world of identity politics that we live in today in the United States? I'm not quite sure. I'm still confused myself. My brain hurts a little bit by even thinking about that mindset because 
there's been this division, according to the mainstream media and to the Democrats, in this whole world of identity politics that's really, 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 really stupid based on your gender or your sexual identification or sexual identity or your sexual preferences or your religion or your skin color. There's been the boxes that the Democrats have so nicely put us all into to divide us, to say, well, you're white and you're black and you're Hispanic and you're Asian and you're Native American, and it goes on. So therefore, all of you should think differently, and therefore, all of you should be differently, so therefore, you can uh, you can challenge each other and you can hate each other because of your differences that the, we tell you should uh, create anger and angst between all of you. The whole identity politics summed up into one. But when people start thinking differently, like... A lot of the Hispanic community, which the Democrats have been unaware of because they've been able to control that demographic for so long, making them think that Republicans hate them, that Democrats are taking care of them, when the Hispanic community does not want to be taken care of. And I know this firsthand by talking to many in the Hispanic population about their views on government, where they're like, we vote Democrat because we don't know anything else, but we have a lot of conservative tendencies, and the Republican Party has not reached out to us to try and win us over, when actually we have a lot of their views, being predominantly Catholic and religious holding a lot of very conservative positions on social issues, on coming over here to get away from the illegal immigration and the crime that goes on in Mexico and other parts of Central America based on cartel control and drug trafficking and human trafficking and no human rights in any way, shape, or form. They don't want that, which is why they come here to the United States. Which is why, again, while the Democrats claim that they hold that population under their thumb of control... We see the rise of Hispanics on the conservative end of the aisle. Myra Flores, Texas District Number 34. If you remember before last year's general election, she won that one in a square off in a deep blue district right at the border as a first woman that was born in Mexico, a Hispanic Mexican-born woman that rose to the top, won the congressional seat at least for a few months, and was a massive MAGA Donald Trump supporter. Her husband as a Border Patrol agent, as a Hispanic individual. We have Anna Paulina Luna, which is the congresswoman out of the state of Florida. Now, obviously, I'm assuming that she's more of the Cuban descent, which a lot of Cubans down there are predominantly conservative. Could be wrong. You can correct me on that if you like. But I'm assuming the vast majority of the Cubans coming over are recognizing what socialism looks like through their system of governance in Cuba and wanting to come to get away from that garbage, with many of them, again, coming on this program here, yelling and screaming about how bad socialism actually is. Ted Cruz, even though we don't usually see him as a quote-unquote Hispanic, obviously he is. And so many others that are representing, holding that Republican flag and parading around as conservatives, even Trump-supporting MAGA conservatives, and the general assumption of the Democrats having their thumb on the pulse and the control of the Hispanic community is starting to dwindle. And it's interesting at a time when we're seeing the border as it is right now at the southern border. We're seeing the mass migration coming in uh, right now, the mass migration of fentanyl and the human trafficking and the cartels and everything of the sort, where Hispanics are starting to, they themselves, speak up and say, hey, wait a second, can we not have this, please? This is what we tried to get away from. I don't want this in society because then we have nowhere else to go if it gets just as bad here as what it did down there. And I really don't want to go up to Canada. It's too damn cold up there. 
So now they're starting to speak up. And in response to that speaking up and the rise of Hispanics starting to shift and turn away from the Democrat Party and look towards the Republican Party as registered voters and even activists among the party, what's the headline now, according to the New Yorker? Latino white supremacy. Now, say what? <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around that concept, but this is the response that they have. Now, I want to just for a second. Put a pause on all the identity politics. And this goes into the LGBTQ issue. This goes into the Latino white supremacy issue. I want to ask you, in your speculation, and I don't have an answer to this, so whatever you speculate could potentially be very accurate. Your speculation on the size and population of the Hispanic community as a whole, how many of them do you think are actually like legitimate what they call white supremacists, fascists? Nazis wearing the swastika, loving the whole Hitler style thing. I'm how many in that population, the Hispanic population, do you actually believe touts that mentality? I'm not saying that there's none, because obviously everybody has their own opinion. I'm sure there are some wackadoodles out there being like, oh yeah, that guy was great. I wish I was German. I'm sure that there are some out there. That population within that demographic, I'm just assuming is relatively small just like actual white supremacists in the country right now. The population of active, violent, wackadoodle white supremacists who think that the superior race is the quote-unquote white people and that everybody else is below them and belittled because they have a different skin color and that praises government in a fascist Nazi-style form. I'm assuming that population, which we know based on the demographics and what the CDC and FBI tell us, are actually relatively low. In fact, they're very low. You wouldn't know that from the Biden administration, who goes out with a nice dark Darth Vader lighting coming in from last fall, talking about that being the number one threat to American democracy right now. But in fact, based on CIA and FBI statistics, it's a very small portion of the population. Take that and apply that to the Hispanic population that apparently is a now a big issue. Now, even at the LGBTQ thing, where they're like, oh, every bit of gover- uh, every bit of business uh, propaganda and marketing and messaging that we have, go- especially going into Pride Month, everybody's apparently part of the LGBTQ community, when in fact they're only about 5 to 7% of the entire population that are actively admitting that they're part of that. And it was down to like 2 or 3%. It's grown up to about 5 to 7%. But still, the entire nation is pandering to a group of individuals that only represent roughly 5% of the entire nation that are part of it, not including, or it does include, but just of that 5 to 7% of the population, a small fraction of that are the actual activists yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs that everything's unfair. So before we even read a story about Latino white supremacy being the next big flavor of hate groups in the nation. Let's put this into perspective on how important this actually is and why we can ask now why the New Yorker would actually come out and ask uh, and talk about an issue like this. But they go on to talk about how Garcia is part of the Proud Boys. sees himself as a Latino, which never equated with whiteness. And at moments, he manifested pride with his non-white Latino identity. It's a confusing set of ideas that nevertheless has a long history among Latinos, in part because the category, quote, Latino itself has been fiercely contested with some arguing, for example, they should be classified as a race rather than an ethnicity. They go on to say scholars and journals have described these Latino white supremacists in different ways. With some, they've argued, 
uh, being aspirational whiteness or the desire to be white in order to fit in with the racial and capitalist order of the United States to avoid discrimination that black Americans experience or to justify the pursuit of individual wealth and belonging. That right there sums it up, doesn't it? I don't even have to read the rest of the article. That right there sums it up. We have a system in the United States called the rule of law, called the Constitution of the United States. And according to professors, the really stupid elite people that are apparently really, really smart, that are so dumb they don't realize their dumbness because they're too smart to recognize it, they say that if you buy into the system of America, a.k.a. assimilating to the set of rules and the barriers that we have in society, the structure that we've set up for us to function as an orderly society in some way, shape, or form, that structure, if you buy into that, a.k.a. assimilating to that, then you are a, quote, aspirational whiteness. You're aspiring to be white, to buy into it for your own personal gain, which is exactly what they said to the black individuals as well uh, of the ones that are on the conservative side, Tim Scott and all the other ones that are on the Republican side right now, Ben Carson, that they're aspiring to be white. They've sold their souls to buy into the system for their own personal wealth and personal gain in the pursuit of trying not to be discriminated against. Because if you fight the system, which they try to tell you to do, then you're fighting against that white oppression. The basic fundamental system in this nation is whiteness, according to them. And therefore, it's their justifiable duty to disrupt, which is why they justify Black Lives Matter and the violence and Antifa and everything else of the sorts. But now we have the Hispanics trying to assimilate that are now aspiring to whiteness. It's the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You know, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not quite sure that attacking anyone who starts to question you is the best tactic to try and win them back over and stay with your side. You would, <laughs> you would think that if someone starts to question your ideas and be like, hey, uh, is this really the best way to go? Then you would be like, hold on, let's sit down. Let's explain why we're doing what we're doing here. Let's explain what's really going on, and let's win you back over for you to stay with us. That's what a business would do, right? If someone calls and says, I'm here to cancel my subscription with your service, let's say your internet service or your TV service, and you call and say, I don't want your service any longer because it's too expensive or because you got rid of the channel that I wanted or whatever the reason may be, I'm going to go ahead and cancel it. Then the service provider, as you know, if you call to try to cancel your internet or your TV, they beg you and they're like, wait a second, hold on, we'll lower your rate again. We'll give you back this channel. We'll give you the premium for three months if you just stick with us. They do what they can to try and win you back over. The Democrat approach apparently is to say, hey, wait a second, Uh, this being the Hispanic community saying, you know, You guys are bringing in and flooding in the stuff that we tried to get away from here. You're not necessarily representing us. You're going against our ethical values, our religious values as Catholics on abortion issues and other things as well. Uh, You're tearing apart the family values, which obviously in the Hispanic community, if you know anything about them, family is very, very important with the family unit. And you guys are kind of attacking that. You're making it more difficult for us to actually get jobs because you're raising the minimum wage. You're making it more difficult for us to be part of society because you're not teaching us to assimilate, but instead just telling us to fight against 
uh, um, assimilation in some way, shape, or form. You're actually making life way more difficult for us. I'm going to go and check out what these guys are doing over here. And instead of the Democrats, which you would think, again, in a commonsensical, reasonable, non-upside-down world that we're living in right now, would say, all right, what can we do to win you back over? Let's go. Their usually response is, let's give you more free stuff. But usually it would be, let's go ahead and sit down with you and figure out what your needs are as a community so we can properly try to address them the best way possible. Instead, they call them Latino white supremacists because that's the appropriate way to respond here is we're just going to call you a Latino white supremacist. You are now a radical. You're a terrorist, probably domestic terrorist. You are sitting with the white people and you're selling out by, quote unquote, aspiring to whiteness, according to the New Yorker, saying that just like the black community, you're trying to avoid discrimination by being part of the capitalist system with your own pursuit of success to hell with the rest of the community. You're in it for yourself and you don't care about anybody else. By the way, there, according to the article here, there's another uh, flavor to this. Uh, there's the aspiring whiteness. And then there's the what they call the multiracial whiteness. Again, this just gets dumber. The really, really smart, stupid people in the higher education system trying to teach you crap that doesn't even exist here. But uh, they say that that's an individual trying to identify uh, people from all racial backgrounds that can participate in a certain system. Uh, it is rooted in what they write to, in quote, in a discriminatory worldview in which feelings of freedom and belonging are produced through persecution and dehumanization of others. Such concepts help to explain how in a country with rising racial violence, Latinos can both potential uh, can be both potential perpetrators and potential victims. We have gotten to the point, and Ann Coulter wrote about this in her book years ago when she actually had some common sense to her, and I really enjoyed her. We have gotten to a point to where we have society just functioning with limited government rules trying to define, to now we have to define everything to a T, even when it doesn't make sense. Because the multiracial whiteness is multiple races judging, persecuting, and dehumanizing other races. So Latinos now can be either be part of those perpetrators wanting to aspire to whiteness by dehumanizing others, or they could be the victims of that by the whiteness that's coming down upon them in their community. My brain hurts. This is really stupid, but this is the world that we're in today because the Democrats have lost their minds. And when they start losing a demographic that's really been their voter base for a long time, they start attacking them. Whether it's the black community, the Hispanic community, the Native American community, when they start losing them, they're now part of the problem and probably a domestic this terrorist in their the eyes. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. My brain hurts trying to understand the logic of the left as they try to define people to a T. I mean, we talk about identity politics on another level here. And as they start to lose populations, especially minority populations, according to the New Yorker here, the Latino, Hispanic community, as they start to lose them, questioning, wait a second, your policies are actually really, really bad. Maybe we shouldn't do this, Democrat Party. Instead of trying to win them back over, they just call them... Um, Really, they're calling him white supremacist. I'm not sure how that works, but saying that you're falling into the quote-unquote aspirational whiteness, just like the black community, you are 
trying to actually buy into the capitalist order and capitalist system of the United States, trying to assimilate yourself into society for your own personal growth and success and well-being, buying into the quote-unquote pretending to be white. <laughs> uh, uh, it's so stupid. It's so stupid, but uh, there you have it. That's the side of the left. They, if you start stepping outside, man, if you step off of that plantation, they are going to come after you beyond uh, recognition. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. Let's get into what's trending. Let's have a little bit lighter what's conversation, Sally. Today? We have a little bit lighter conversation going into a Friday, the end of the week. I want to shift gears to the presidential race of 2024, and not just the Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis one, although that has been entertaining to watch them sling mud back and forth at each other. It could be potentially dangerous for the Republican Party moving forward, but there's another candidate out there as well. I was getting ready for the show, and I was watching some videos on YouTube of this candidate, and boy, he's a feisty one, and I like it. And uh, you can watch some of them online, but watching him go and spar against the left-wing media is Pretty fun to watch, honestly. You can't talk to NBC or MSNBC or whatever. You probably shouldn't be representing us in front of Xi Jinping. Are, are you confident that you know that gender that it isn't a spectrum? I uh, am. You know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes. If you're a woman, an X and a Y, that means you're a man. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. I graduated from Harvard with a degree in biology. I didn't want to throw <laughs> those facts at him. Using the Civil War to talk about black Americans, that war was not fought for black people to have guns. That's, that's, that's not... That war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's but, one of the lessons that we still learned. still aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms. I disagree with you country. on that, Don. I disagree with you on it. I think you're doing a disservice well, to our country. Okay. I like going on and having that debate on the other side's home but turf like and winning. You can have an opinion, but there are certainly facts in certain cases. To be able to say whatever garbage you want until you are proven otherwise is not what you So, Becky, here's my view on this. It is the bargain of free speech in our country. All right, free speech is not intended for the speech we love. It is intended for the speech that we do but not love. Should- Wow. Boy, he's a feisty guy. We love it. That is the presidential candidate on the Republican side of Vivek Ramaswamy. And to talk with us here on the program with the campaign, she's the grassroots director and political advisor. And she's one of our favorite guests. We've had her on many times before as a former congressional candidate out of the great state of Pennsylvania. Excited to have back on here with us to talk about that. Kathy Barnett. Kathy, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's so good to chat with you again. It's been a long time here. First off, uh, what a fiery guy. I, I don't think a lot of people know of Vivek right now as you guys are getting things up and going. But just listening to some of the stuff with his sparring against the media, hilarious to listen to and fantastic. I love the fact that he's feisty and he's not afraid to go up against them with a fight. And it's not just, you know, I mean, yes, it is. Hilarious, right? When he's on uh, MSNBC saying Becky, one moment, Becky. That's very, you know, I mean, because we're looking for that, right? I mean, it's, it's exciting when he sits across from Don Lemon, who says black people are still not allowed to live their best life. And here you have Don Lemon, a gay man, married to another man, earning millions of dollars every year and have the nerve to decry victimhood. If anyone has been able to live his life exactly the way he wants, it will be Don Lemon, right? But what's really great about someone like Vivek is the fact that he is he is speaking out loud truth, right? 
And the Republican Party is not perfect. God knows it. Just like America, she's not perfect. But there's no one running a close second to either the Republican Party or the, um, the United States of America. And I believe that we in the Republican Party, we have the better values, the better set of values. Sometimes our leadership does not reflect that whatsoever. But when you're talking to the people on the ground, and when I ran against Dr. Oz last year uh, for the uh, Republican Senate primary, I spent 1,500 miles every single week on the ground with the people of uh, Pennsylvania, and I got a very good view of those who make up our party, and they're really good people. And I believe that their values are the ones that Vivek is, uh, is representing, and I think that's, that's the reason why. So many people have been, once they hear him, they're like, yes, this makes sense. We've been doing this for three months now. And within 12 weeks, we went from zero in all the national polls to now we're tied for third place with former Vice uh, President Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. That just shows the energy and enthusiasm behind this race. There's a lot of enthusiasm and energy behind you guys for sure. Talk about a little bit of his background. Obviously, coming from uh, to, coming from elsewhere, and uh, uh, we were talking about earlier in the program about assimilating into society and how difficult that is with Democrats advocating to not assimilate into society nowadays. But uh, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, he's gotten a taste of what America is, and it's it's amazing to watch families like this thrive. Well, it is, right? I mean, his family, uh, his mom and dad came here as uh, immigrants. They came here through the front door. They did it legally. Mm. And uh, Vivek was born here, but his parents came here with very little money. He always talks about his privilege, his privilege being that he grew up in a two-parent household with parents who put an emphasis on education. And as a result of that privilege and that focus that he grew up under, uh, he went on to Harvard, uh, graduated summa cum laude with a degree in molecular biology. So it's really interesting when you have someone like Chuck Todd trying to question him on the biology that there's only two genders. <laughs> Very interesting. But he graduated summa cum laude from Harvard with a, a molecular biology degree, went on to Yale Law, graduating in the top of his class, started multiple billion-dollar companies. One of them, uh, 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 Roy Vent, um, uh, he had five drugs that became FDA approved that he directly worked under. One, saving young children lives, 100% of them uh, would die with this particular rare disease. But now with his drugs, 70% of those children get to live a normal, uh, a normal life. Uh, and that's as a result of him, several other drugs, like I said. Um, but what was really interesting in 2020 and this multi-billion dollar company that he uh, founded and created, uh, Black Lives Matter came knocking at his door and they demanded that he make a statement, bow the knee. And looking at, you know, he wanted to go out and do his research on Black Lives Matter. And at that time, if you guys remember, they had their mission statement on the website, and one of the mission statements of Black Lives Matter, it was to destroy the Western nuclear family. Yeah. And again, coming from his own background, talking about the privilege of growing up with two, fam two parents in the household who put a focus on education, he knew that that was a lie straight from the pit of hell. And so he refused to take a knee, but instead he stepped down from his company. 
And he's done a lot of other things in the culture, writing a number one New York Times bestseller, starting a Strive Asset Management Company to go against ESG with uh, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, and others. And now he looked around and said, what more can I do? And he decided it is run for president of the United States. I love it. Being an entrepreneur, being a businessman like that, understanding the markets, understanding the stuff. I know on his camp or on his website, at least talking about some of his campaign platforms is some of the anti ESG, which we talk a lot about on the program is essentially the new social credit score for businesses that will trickle down to the private sector and to the consumer. Uh, Is that one of the main focal points that he wants to focus on, especially with the debt ceiling debate, which we can get into in a second that we just saw last week uh, and throughout this week, but then the ESG that I think is probably one of the most dangerous things that we see in society today. It is so insidious. It is so evil, right? Uh, And this is a collusion between um, government and, and private businesses or the big corporate boardrooms getting done through the back door, that which they would never get done through the front door. They could never come before the American people and ask the American people to decide these particular values that they're pushing. So therefore, they just bypass the American people and the voting booth altogether, and they go behind the back door. For example, I'm sure you talked about it a number of times on your show, but you have BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. Those three companies alone, they manage uh, more money than the U.S. GDP. They manage roughly $22 trillion, just those three asset managers alone. The U.S. GDP is roughly $20 trillion, right? So that's a lot of money. And what with that comes a lot of power. And so those three particular companies, uh, they are the ones who are really pushing uh, and shoving down the throats of corporate boardrooms all across the nation their values, one of those values being to do away with fossil fuels. And they went to the largest company, the largest market cap company in the world, Exxon, used their clout. Uh, got three of the board members on Exxon removed, replaced them with three activists, uh, climate change uh, individuals. And now, and then they went to Chevron and and bullied them and said, if you don't want us to do to your board what we've done to Exxon's board, you better do as we tell you to do. And that's the kind of bullying. They're not tolerant. They're not kind. They're not trying to have a conversation. Oh, they will just come in and take over. It's a mess. Kathy, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? I can. Awesome. I love it. I want to continue this conversation. I want to get into the debt ceiling stuff when we come back and talk about his thoughts on getting our finances under control. Lots more to get to. It is the Vivek 24, uh, 2024 presidential campaign right around the corner. Stay here this on The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Last couple of minutes here for a Friday on the show. This is why I love having her on this program and why it's rocking. It's exciting building up that intensity for the 2024 presidential races, especially with the Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. You can find him online at VIVEK2024.com. You can see everything about it as working his way up the polls. Is there a viable choice? There's a viable option, a path to victory. 
with all the focus being on uh, former President Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis now, all the mudslinging going on there, which is very fascinating. Kathy Barnett, political advisor and grassroots director for the campaign, on with us for the last few minutes. And, uh, Kathy, let's talk about real quickly the debt ceiling. We... uh, (laughs) I, I struggle with this one because it's been frustrating. Republicans had an okay-ish bill at the end of April, and then we scrap it, write a completely different bill. And, Kathy, I didn't realize that in order to rein in spending so we don't actually run into a debt limit ceiling again, we pass a bill that raises the debt ceiling by $4 trillion in additional spending and then wonder why we're going to hit this wall again here in a little bit. It, it, that's weird to me, isn't it? It's very weird. I don't even know in the fine print. There are some uh, articles I've been reading uh, that we may not have a debt a debt ceiling at all. I think we may have removed it altogether, at least one of the iterations uh, that they were getting passed through the House. I mean, it's just ludicrous, right? Because on one hand, they tell us we're having inflation. We're in these, you know, unprecedented inflationary moments. The Fed may be raising the rates once more because of all of the inflation. Well, what is the driver of inflation? It's too much money, right? And so if you really wanted to curtail inflation, well, stop spending so much money. Instead, try to cut uh, where we can cut. Begin to put things out there like allow us to, to uh, to start drilling again. That would absorb a lot of the inflation. But instead of doing that, what are they doing? They're on one hand, they are raising interest rates, which is which is going to cause a greater harm to the middle class. It's a hidden tax for for the middle class, and it also destroys business opportunities and make lending more challenging. We already see people coming out talking about the housing market, but at the same time, they're going to be raising. Um, they're going to continue to spend as if there is no inflation. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Just all of this seems very intentional. And so, yes, but they talk extensively about it. One of the best things we can do as a nation is to put a big, bright spotlight on the Federal Reserve, which is an oxymoron because they're not federal, nor do they reserve anything, right? And yet, no one is talking about them. And so, you know, so there are things that he has talked about very extensively on that as well. Yeah, that would be a huge one if we could start addressing them. It's There's been a lot of heat to them, but they seem like they don't have any rules to restrain them. I mean, even Janet Yellen, when she says that she was doing, quote-unquote, extraordinary measures to continue to pay the bills yeah. in, the, in the federal government, uh, she never explained what those, quote-unquote, extraordinary measures were. They have free reign to do anything they want to, from printing money to raising interest rates to causing inflation, and then it's our fault for not reacting to what they want to. I don't understand that process. And you know what? I mean, but here's the I mean, but here's the rub, right? Because Democrats could not do half the things they're doing if Republicans weren't complicit. So this isn't really a B versus R moment, right? We have a lot of people with an R next to their name that we have placed in positions of great authority and power who are who are allowing these things to to happen. And so we, as the American people, the voters, we need to recognize that there's a tremendous amount of distraction. You just mentioned some at the opening of this segment with us focused on, you know, acting like bloods and crips. You know, Donald Trump's my man. No, Ron DeSantis is my man. 
And we're over here fighting over the scrap. Neither of those men are paying your bills, American people, right? Neither of them are going to stand next to you when the state comes for your children because you decide your boy is not a girl and you're not going to chemically castrate them. At state levels, those are the kind of conversations we're having. At state levels, we're trying to pass bills that say these children are really your children. So we need to grow up a little bit on the Republican side, our voters, and stop allowing ourselves to be so distracted by thinking we're fighting Democrats against Republicans. We're not. It is truly a battle between those who love this nation and those who, quite frankly, don't. And so when you begin to look at it that way, we got to fight. I couldn't agree more, my friend. It is a wild world out there, and you're right. When the Republicans cave day in and day out, it's time for us to start rebranding that party, which is what you guys are doing. It is Kathy for Truth on the tweet. You can go and find that also. Vivek2024.com is the website for the campaign. Kathy, it's so good to talk to you, my friend. Keep up that fight. we got to get you back on another update here again soon. That does it for us today. It's a Friday. Everybody have a great weekend. We're back at it on Monday. We'll see you on the radio.